frustration. We can experience this for any number of reasons at work, school, home, church, or even in the Lord's work. And at times it can seem like it's overwhelming to the point we want to quit. So what should we do? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich examines the words of Jeremiah to give us some guidance on how we should respond when God's plan frustrates us. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Fed Up, from Jeremiah chapter 20. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we gather around his word and see what he has to say to us. As I said, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah this morning in chapter 20. And we're going to be reading verses 7 through 13. 7 through 13. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in mine heart as burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and will it prevail against him. And we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall, not be, shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous and seest the reins in the uh, heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord. For he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we thank you for this time to gather together, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to lift your name in praise and worship and to celebrate what a wonderful and awesome God you truly are, Lord. And Lord, now as we step into your word, we just ask that you help us to prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to that word. We ask that you help us to let those words take root in our lives, that they might bear the kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that you have uh, deemed so important in our lives. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here today, but I just ask that you take me and use me as your instrument. Take away anything that can in any way interfere with the message, pride, selfishness, distraction, whatever it might be, Lord. Take it away, fill me with your Spirit, that I might only speak the words that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, as a church, as we continue to move forward and make the decisions that are uh, laid upon our path, help us to make the right decisions. Help us to make the decisions that are in accordance with your purposes and your will, that we might always be doing the things that you have called us to do and might be glorifying you in the process. And as individuals, Lord, help us to see opportunities to share the gospel with those around us in this lost and dying world as our time is drawing short. And help us to exalt your name in, in spreading the gospel of Christ with all those around us. And Lord, we ask that you also forgive us of our sins and the times that we've chosen ourselves over you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The verses uh, we are reading this morning, the time frame 
is just before the Babylonian captivity uh, of Israel. And before we get too deep into what is going on here, let's, let's back up a little bit. Zedekiah was the king of Israel during this time, king of Judah, excuse me. And he was the worst and the weakest of all of the kings who had ever ruled in Judah. And it's during this reign <clears throat> that the Babylonian captivity that Jeremiah had himself had prophesied took place. Where they were taken captive and, and held for, uh, for decades. Now the three, last three evil kings had all rejected the ministry of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been called to preach the gospel. He had been, or preach God's word. And he had been called to, to spread God's word amongst the people. And all three of these evil kings had rejected his ministry in a very definitive way. He was given a cold shoulder and his message was completely and utterly ignored. So imagine the picture here. This man is going out and he's preaching God's word and he's spreading uh, the words that God has given him to spread. And he gets absolutely nothing in response. But he hasn't been persecuted up until this point. Now, as we come into chapter 20, we will find <clears throat> that suddenly changes. In chapter 20, we see that Jeremiah is now being personally and literally physically persecuted for the first time. And it's very interesting to note where the persecution begins. It's not the kings of Judah that are persecuting him. It's not Zedekiah that is persecuting him. It began with the religious authorities of the day. So, once again, here is a man of God trying to spread God's word as God has commanded him. And he is being attacked, attacked by the very people you would have expected to have been backing him up. Peshur was a priest, and he was thought to be the head of the temple guard at the time. And if you read at the beginning of the chapter, you'll notice how, uh, you know, it, it wasn't Zedekiah that had taken offense to what Jeremiah had prophesied but rather those who were in the religious sect of the day. It was Jeremiah who preached the truth. And those who claimed to be of the faith were the ones who began to persecute him. Now, this isn't too unlike what we see in a lot of cases today, to be honest. There are many, many churches, many faiths out there today that are serving their own purposes and not God's. They're used to telling people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. They promote and further a godless agenda of today's society. They provide a mechanism that makes people just feel good about themselves, merely because they associate themselves with the fact that they're associated with religion. But when someone points out the futility of all that, when they point out that God is not pleased nor approving of worldly teachings in the church, but rather wants the one true gospel of Jesus Christ to be the focal point, to be the focus of all that is preached, then suddenly blowback starts. They're called intolerant, hateful, judgmental. We hear those things flung to those who hold true to the word of God regardless. So too we see it here. Jeremiah had prophesied according to God's direction, God's word, the word that God had given him and said, preach these words. 
When he had prophesied according to God's direction, the end of the freedom of the Israelites. And by taking a, a clay pot, he actually took a clay pot and smashed it to the ground, announcing that the end of God's patience was with them. And the forthcoming Babylonian captivity was, a, was, was going to occur. These people didn't want to hear that. These people didn't want to hear the truth that God was displeased with their rejection of him. That God was going to pass judgment upon them through the Babylonians. And they didn't want to hear it. So they took it out on God's prophet. Now as I said up until this point, Jeremiah had been ignored. He certainly had probably butted up against a wall and felt like he wasn't accomplishing anything, but he hadn't been physically persecuted. So I can imagine the frustration that existed in this man. For so long, he had preached to God's people, yearning for them to turn back to their creator, time after time, brushing them off, getting the brush off, ignoring him. And that in and of itself would have been frustrating enough. But now he's having to deal with the pain and humiliation of being placed in stocks, being beaten. It'd be easy to see after all this time how his frustration kind of came to a head. In our passages this morning, there's an interesting mix of Jeremiah both venting his frustration with the whole situation and speaking at the same time to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. So today I want to take a look at the words that Jeremiah spoke in these passages. I want to take a look at what he said. And from these statements, he makes through this haze of frustration and angst, we must take note of what it reveals to us about God and how we sustain our service to him. Because in the world we live in today, they are becoming more and more resistant to God's truth. They are becoming more and more less wanting to hear what the Bible has to say. And they certainly don't want to be told that we are sinners in need of somebody else's forgiveness. So what do we take away from this, the words that Jeremiah spoke, that we can use to help sustain us in our situation that we find ourselves in? And the first thing that we see in all of this is that a heart truly surrendered to God cannot be silent. A heart truly surrendered to God cannot be silent. Jeremiah makes a statement from a place I think most of us have found ourselves at one time or another. We're fed up. We're fed up with a lack of response. And now with the persecution he suffered, he basically says, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I will not speak his name anymore or prophecy on his behalf. I think anybody who has served God faithfully for any length of time identifies with that sentiment, with the frustration, the feeling of what is the point? We're not getting anywhere. We don't seem to be accomplishing anything. So let's be honest. Sometimes service to God can be tiring and can be frustrating. It can seem like the efforts that we are making simply aren't going anywhere and that we're not reaching anybody. Understand something for starters with respect to this. Jesus never said serving him was going to be easy. 
He did not say, oh, this is going to be wonderful, a bed of roses, it's going to be a piece of cake, you all just go out there and people are just going to be falling by the wayside accepting Christ. No, he said it was going to be a rough road. We are serving a holy, righteous God who has us doing a holy, righteous work in an unholy, rebellious, and sinful world that has turned against him. And while the power of the Holy Spirit is most certainly unlimited to do his work in this world, it is reliant on these individuals to respond and to choose to do good. And the unfortunate truth is that it seems to be happening less and less. So what's the point, right? This mindset was even addressed by Paul in two different churches. And we see this in Galatians 6, 9, where it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And once again, while speaking it to the church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. There are several occasions, several reasons why we find ourselves thinking this way. We might find ourselves frustrated with the simple fact that we're not seeing the kinds of results that we had hoped for. The kinds of response to our efforts. We invite people to church. Nobody shows up. We repeatedly share the gospel with people and everybody just kind of brushes us off. Put on VBSs. Some special event to draw people and give them exposure to Jesus Christ and his gospel. Nobody shows up, or very few. It can be discouraging at times. But what I want us to take particular note of is what happens to Jeremiah when he makes the decision to quit, so to speak. He said that God's word was like a fire within him that he simply could not suppress. So here is Jeremiah, totally frustrated, at his wit's end. He says, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then suddenly he realizes he's got this burning fire inside him that he cannot suppress any further. In fact, he even makes the comment that it was wearing him out trying not to prophesy, or prophesy and spread God's truth. Get this. He was being exhausted by trying to not do what God had called him to do. He wasn't getting exhausted doing it. He was getting exhausted trying to avoid doing it. It was more difficult for him not to share God's word than it was for him to share it. Now, I've often heard that times, if someone is truly called God, by God to preach, that they'll be miserable if they're not preaching. But this doesn't just really apply to preachers. We're all called to share God's word. We're all called to share the gospel. We all should find ourselves in a position when we decide to, well, I'm just going to keep it to myself, that suddenly something starts welling up within us. Suddenly we feel this desire to share something about God's word with others around us. But that eagerness to share God's word, to serve him, to tell the world just how great and wonderful a God he is, 
His word should well up within us like a fire that can't be quenched. Recall what the disciples said after they had Jesus expound on his truth while walking along the road. And they didn't even realize who he was at the time, mind you. And this is in Luke uh, 24, 32. Let me see if I can get that one up. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened up to us the scriptures? Now, imagine the picture here. The apostles, this is just after Jesus' death, all right, and his burial. Or actually just after his resurrection, actually. And the apostles are walking along the road. And Jesus pulls up next to them and, well, and starts walking and talking with them. Of course, at the time, they didn't recognize him, who he was. And he begins to share God's word with him. Not even recognizing it was Jesus, they're saying, did our hearts not burn hearing these words? Now, although it can be certainly frustrating and difficult, we should never quit. We should never give up. Because understand that a heart that is truly surrendered to God can't be silent. If our hearts are truly surrendered to God, we cannot keep silent. Next we see Jeremiah point out to us that even when it seems that we're alone, God has never left our side. Even when it seems that God, we're alone, God has never left our side. In verse 10, Jeremiah says something that's shocking. And then he refers to all his familiars who were waiting to trip him up. Who is he referring to there? Who is he talking about when he says all his familiars? A closer look at this expression in the verse reveals they were his friends. These were his friends that were waiting for him to do something so they could lay to his charge and they could accuse him about it. Can you imagine? The very people you trust, the very people you call close to you. Imagine that. Your friends lying in wait for you to mess up so they could point fingers at you and accuse you of basically being a hypocrite. With all the other issues that Jeremiah had to deal with here, the spiritually deaf audience, religious leaders who were intimid intimidate him into silence by physical harm and imprisonment, now he's got to deal with his friends waiting to pounce on him like a lion if he messed up. Jeremiah, I'm sure at this point, felt very strongly that he was alone. He couldn't trust his friends even. Nobody was there to back him up. Nobody was there to encourage him. But Jeremiah points out that he is, in fact, not alone. That he has the Lord on his side as a, as he puts it, as a mighty, terrible one in his words. Now, just to be clear, he's not implying anything negative when he refers to God as a terrible one here. <clears throat> the term terrible actually effectively means one of great power. So he's, he's really saying a mighty, powerful one. That's who was on his side. And he goes on to say how his enemies will not prevail against him because his, of his constant companion through this, and his constant companion being God himself. 
What an encouraging statement Jeremiah makes in the midst of all that he was dealing with during this time. And the statement should act as a boost to those who may feel defeated, outnumbered, overwhelmed. The God of the universe is on our side. When we seek to serve him, when we seek to do his will, when we seek to spread his word, he is on our side. The mighty powerful one. Now this promise was made to Jeremiah very early in his ministry. We note that in Jeremiah 1.19, where it says, And they shall fight against thee, and they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So, really, this is simply Jeremiah restating the very promise that was made to him earlier. But how does that relate to us? What kind of reassurance and promise has God made to us about facing the detractors, facing the opposition, facing the accusers? Well, we find this answer in 1 John 4.4. 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The promise that John gives us from God was made in response to the resistance and difficulty that we will face from the spirit of the Antichrist, which those that oppose the gospel. What an awesome thought when you think about it. We feel at times <clears throat> that we are fighting the battle, that we have to be strong and handle the struggle all by ourselves. But this verse reminds us that that battle is already won. That he that lives in us has already secured the victory. And we don't need to worry about what this world can do to us. We are gloriously saved and secure in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And we have never have to feel like we're walking alone. The last thing Jeremiah communicates to us is to have confidence in that God has already delivered you. Have confidence that God has already delivered you. The last statement made by him in the passage we are looking at is one of tremendous joy for us. While throughout the latter parts of this chapter we see Jeremiah kind of going back and forth and vacillating back and forth between his confidence and his frustration, this statement is one of the most extraordinary ones of encouragement and hope. Jeremiah states that he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hands of the evildoers. At a time when his body probably still ached from the stocks and the beatings, what does he do? He worships God. He worships God, knowing that his deliverance draws nigh, draws close. Note that Jeremiah had not been removed from the circumstances yet that he was lamenting about. The very threats and things that had him crying out in frustration and prompting him to want to throw in the towel were still very real and present at that time. And yet his statement is one of victory and steadfastness. It was almost as if Jeremiah said, we interrupt these moments of self-pity for a mini worship service. God is always to be praised. Even in the midst of our suffering. 
We see this and cannot help but be reminded of Paul and Silas. Sitting in the stocks of the innermost prison, the deepest, darkest, dankest, just grossest part of the prison. Backs bleeding and swollen from the stripes that they'd received. And yet, what were they doing? Singing songs of praise and worship to God. What kind of understanding is that? That after being tormented, finding yourself in prison, while still feeling the sting of the stripes on your back, that you can worship and praise God. It is knowing that your eternal destiny, all that really matters, lies in the hands of the one who has the power to preserve it. It is knowing that we're told in Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We've got to remember on this side of eternity, it doesn't matter what anyone does or says to us. We have a sovereign God who can preserve our souls or destroy our souls if he chooses. But to understand that those who have placed their trust in him, we have the blessed hope of knowing that beyond the shadow of a doubt, what our fate, what our fate is when we pass from this world to the next. Yesterday we said our goodbyes to a church member. But you know what? One of the things I talked about was the hope in knowing that we're going to see her again. This isn't goodbye, it's we'll see you later on. And every single one of us who lays claim to the hope in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can say that very same thing. Anybody who departs with that same faith, it's not forever goodbye, it is I'll see you in a little bit. And that is an assurance that is rock solid. Stephen, as he stood there and, or kneeled there as he was being stoned and the life ebbing from him as rock upon rock laid upon him. Looked up and saw heaven open to him. He had the, the blessing of seeing that, that transition, in that transition, seeing what was yet to come. But the reality is all of us have that very same promise if our faith is in Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear. Do what you will to this body of flesh. I know when I close my eyes here and open my eyes on in eternity, I will be with my Lord and Savior. I have nothing to fear. This world can't destroy my soul. And you can have that very same hope and assurance if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. Too many in this world today are putting their hope in their good works. Man, I hope I did enough to outweigh the bad. Well, guess what? The good have no bearing whatsoever on the bad. Because the Bible says the bad means you die. Wages of sin or death. Your good works don't have any bearing than this over here. It's not a scale, folks. One bad thing and that scale bottoms out. And the only thing that's going to matter is the punishment. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved when he went to that cross in Calvary he took on the sins of all humanity 
and suffered the full wrath of God for you and for me. That we might have the opportunity to lay hope, lay charge, or lay hold of that hope in knowing that our faith has secured us a place in heaven. Our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, not in anything that we do, not in our goodness, because believe me, folks, there ain't any. But rather, our faith in Jesus Christ gives us the assurance that death is nothing to fear. It is merely a transition. Do you have that kind of hope? Can you live your life knowing that when you leave this world, whether that be 10 minutes from now as we're driving down the road, or 40 years from now lying on your deathbed, do you have that hope, that eternal hope in knowing that your eternal destiny is assured? All you have to do is confess your sins before God. Believe that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for your sins and that he rose again three days later in victory over sin and death. And you too can have that very same hope. I can't do it for you. You have to make that decision yourself. The question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the word of God? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we are grateful that we have had this time together, Lord. We are truly grateful for your word. It is a blessing and honor and a privilege to dive into your word, Lord, to explore it, to learn from it, to grow in it. Lord, it is my prayer that if anybody is here today or at the sound of my voice that has never put their hope in you, their eternal faith in the destiny that exists beyond this world, if they have laid that hope in anything other than you, that today would be the day they realize the futility of that. And they would recognize their need for you as their Lord and Savior of their lives. And Lord, just have your will and way in the lives of all those that are here today. Help us to stand with boldness and avoid the frustration that so often comes with trying to share the gospel in this lost and dying world. Help us to continue to move forward. Help us to continue to stand faithful and to be true to the command that you've given us to spread your word. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www 
providencenbcgaston.com or email us at providencenbcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.